0: Hello and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from Just One Pound, and by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. The Visitudes of a Soldier's Life, Chapter 7 The first day we marched to Shoreham, it being the King's birthday, there was great rejoicing in several towns through which we passed, but I could not help reflecting that many of us were marching to our death day. The next day we arrived at Arundel, the town at which we had the affray with the inhabitants, but no disturbance took place on this occasion. On the 7th we reached the city of Chichester, and on the 8th arrived at Portsmouth, marched down to the point and embarked without having a moment's liberty to leave the ranks, which seemed hard, as we wanted several necessaries for the voyage. Nothing happened worth notice until the 18th of June, when we weighed anchor and set sail for Portugal. About three o'clock in the afternoon, we passed the Needles, and got into the British Channel. The Needles, so called, is a very narrow passage of the sea, between the Isle of Wight and Hampshire. So narrow is the passage, and so high some of the rocks that to a stranger it appears dangerous we sailed along the coast of dorsetshire devonshire and cornwall until the 21st of june when we altered our course southwest by south and soon reached the bay of biscay which we knew by the mighty swell of its waters for the waves were so large that the ships disappeared for several seconds of time together and then rose to the summit of the waves with all the majesty and grandeur imaginable. No persons can conceive the awful effect without they saw it. Our vessel, the Amphitrite, stood it very well. We had a good stiff breeze of favourable wind, so that we glided along the trackless deep. Though, by the by, many of us were very sick, for when the vessel had gained the summit of the wave, down she went, as though she would not have stopped until she'd reached the bottom. Up she started, and then rolled and staggered along. On the 25th, we came in sight of the northwest point of Spain, called Cape Finistra. We now began to think of our army in that country, especially as we were about joining them. We continued our course until the 27th, on the morning of which we discovered the rocks of Lisbon, a few leagues ahead. About 10 o'clock, a smart breeze springing up and receiving a pilot on board, we were wafted into the Tagus, one of the finest rivers in Europe. We passed Belém, the key fort of this river, and sailed until we reached that part of the river, opposite the Black Horse Square, where we dropped anchor in deep water and, within pistol shot of Lisbon, the capital of the Kingdom of Portugal. This is a very commodious harbour, large enough to contain several hundreds of ships of any burden Indeed, at this period, one of our three deckers lay within 100 yards of the shore. On the morning of the 28th, we landed and marched to St. Domingo Convent, the habitation of monks and friars. It was spacious and divided into small apartments. We had neither beds nor blankets, having to lie on the convent floor in our greatcoats. These were our first quarters, although indifferent, they were palaces compared with what we had in different parts of these kingdoms. The city of Lisbon is situated on the north bank of the Tagus, the old city, which was swallowed up by an earthquake in the year 1755, stood on the south or opposite bank of this river. At present, there are several houses and some traffic carried on there, but is nothing to New Lisbon, which reaches about three miles in length, nearly two in breadth in the broadest part. It contains some very handsome houses, squares and churches, some of which are decorated with images of gold and silver, wrought with precious stones. Whilst at this place, I saw the procession of the host, the people in all directions took off their hats, but others were more pious, went down to their knees. On one occasion, I neglected to take off my cap, which was noticed by one of the peasants, and accosted with me, Ah, Bruta! ara Bruta! Meaning in English, I was a brute. Whilst in these countries, I have often known some of the Roman Catholics, while counting their beads in the evening and repeating certain prayers, if any little thing put them out of their way during these exercises, they would rise up in the greatest passion, cursing and swearing and using other improper language, which looked worse in my view than the mere nominal Christian of England, for few indeed, however bad, would curse and pray with the same breath. But what astonished me the most was that these people, who were ever boasting of the sanctity of their religion, should pay so little regard to the Sabbath more than going to Mass. But to return, there are in this city two streets nearly eight hundred yards long. One of them is occupied chiefly by goldsmiths, the other by silversmiths, and those who are employed in grinding diamonds and other precious stones to fix into rings, crucifixes, and other ornaments. There is also in one of the squares a large and beautiful statue, the eyes of which were, as I have been informed, valued at from two to three million sterling. They were two diamonds of a prodigious size. The Portuguese offered a very great sum to the French not to molest them, but they took the money, and the eyes too, and would have taken the beautiful statue which was solid copper, but something or other prevented them. We remained at Lisbon only seven days having received a route to join Lord Wellington, then lying in the province of Estramadura near the fortified town of Alves. On the morning of the 5th of July, we formed in order to march and moved off right in front, through the city to the quayside, where the regiment was embarked on board a number of transport boats, which were to carry us up the river as far as a small village called Villada. We had sails to the boats, but it being calm, we were forced to take to the oars, In the boat to which i belonged i accidentally met with a man named parker who also came from louth no person could imagine how pleased i was with the man because he was a fellow countryman but i could not understand at that time to what family of the parkers he belonged i know very well now and have since heard that the poor fellow was drowned while engaged in the transport service we sailed very pleasantly up the tagus for about 14 miles we then got into a wrong current and were carried into a creek, and the current running strong, we were completely stranded on the south bank of the Tagus, but received no damage whatever, only being delayed till the tides served the next morning. Although this was but the 5th of July, the harvest was not only reaped, but the corn nearly all thrashed out, and fit for the market. I was considerably alarmed during the night by the croaking of frogs, which was nearly as loud as the quacking of ducks, I was filled with the thoughts of rattlesnakes and other noxious reptiles, but found nothing of the sort to hurt me. In the morning at three o'clock, the tide began to flow. We, with great difficulty, launched our boat and got out of the creek, steered full east or towards the rising sun, and arrived in safety at Velada at eleven o'clock p.m., where our colonel had provided half a pint of port wine a man. Having partaken of this refreshment and rested about an hour, we commenced our march in this hot climate with a heavy load on our backs, and not being accustomed to such fatigue, it went very hard with us for several days. But after a severe march of 16 miles, we arrived at Santarem at five o'clock in the evening and took up our quarters in a large convent in the high town, which is beautifully situated on the north bank of the Tagus. It is a place of some trade and has a good market. The population maybe about five or six thousand. I have been informed that there are no less than fourteen convents in this place, besides several churches, consequently a great number of monks and friars, many of whom are maintained by the poor peasants. They wear a coarse coat or cloak, tied round them with a rope, at the ends of which are several knots, tied according to the order to which they belong. But to return, on the 8th of July, after receiving three days' bread and meat, three pints of wine and 60 rounds of ammunition, we commenced our movements towards Goligan. With this load on our backs, altogether amounting to little short of four stones weight, the hardships we endured from this and the change of climate and provision, together with the abundance of fruit and drinking cold water when exceedingly hot, our men began to be taken with fevers and fluxes. We have sent from 10 to 20 in a day to the general hospital, where many of them died, and others continued a long time. We reached Golligan about 11 o'clock, and took up our quarters in the miserable and wretched houses of the inhabitants, a description of which will be found in the course of this narrative. On the ninth, we marched to Peneta, distant about 14 miles. This little town attracted my notice so much that I must mention a few particulars concerning it. It is situated on the north bank of the Tagus an arm of which runs through the village. The inhabitants have a bridge over it made of boats moored at a certain distance from each other. Spars are thrown from one boat to another and planked right across. Waggons and carts may pass over with the greatest safety, but every man on horseback must dismount and lead his horse over for fear of accident. On the 10th, the bugle sounded at the usual hour, namely 3 o'clock, when we moved off left in front that is, the left wing taking the lead. There is a certain advantage on the line of march to those that go first, whether in a regiment, brigade or a division. In order to give each the advantage in turn, the right of the regiment, brigade or division went first one day, and the left the next, unless it was at a time when we were near the enemy and in expectation of an engagement. We then went according to circumstances. This day we marched very regularly and kept our ranks, for the distance was only 10 miles. We arrived at Abrante at 7 o'clock. The right wing was quartered in the city. The left crossed the Tagus and encamped close by the side of this delightful river. This city is very strong, both by nature and by art. It stands on a very high hill which commands the surrounding country in every direction but one, in which it is strongly guarded by a fort. There are a number of criminals constantly employed at the public works of this place. Every morning, when going to their employment, they were marched out of prison, chained together two and two. Death would have been preferable to these poor, wretched beings, for when they had done their work, which they were compelled to do like galley slaves, they were shut up in a dark and loathsome prison. Having nothing to comfort themselves with, but a little coarse bread and water, indeed, The prisons in Portugal are most wretched places. Here we receive beautiful white bread instead of biscuit, and good wine instead of rum. On the 11th, we halted and washed our clothes, which needed this necessary operation. The next morning, we recommended our route with the usual load of three days' provisions on our shoulders, and crossing the bridge of boats, which reaches nearly two hundred yards, marched along a tedious road through a wilderness scarcely meeting with one solitary village for 32 miles, which may be attributed to our having taken a wrong road and marched 14 miles about. Oh, what a day was this, parched with thirst and exposed to the scorching rays of the sun, which greatly distressed us. However, in the evening, we reached Gavion, our baggage not arriving. We were under necessity of halting the next day in the miserable village of Gavion, the inhabitants of which were wretched in the extreme. Their houses were not so good as our stables, some indeed not better than a hogsty. Several of the children were nearly naked, women barefooted and almost starved to death for want of food, beside being almost lost with vermin. On the morning of the 14th, our baggage and provisions having joined us and having received our biscuit, we moved off at three o'clock to a small dirty village called Gefera and were quartered on the wretched peasantry, some of whom were entirely naked. How happy the people of England when compared with the wretched inhabitants of Portugal. On the 15th, the bugle sounded at the usual time, and after forming, we moved off to Porto Alegre, distant about 14 miles, and took up our quarters in a convent at the gate leading to Elvas. Porto Alegre is a very good-looking town for this country, having several convents and churches and one of the handsomest chapels in the kingdom, decorated with all the trappings of popery, such as having the images dressed in the most gaudy manner. There is also, in the marketplace, one of the most beautiful fountains of water I ever beheld. The weather being very hot, we were constant visitors to this beautiful piece of sculpture. There are several productions of this sort in the peninsula. Here we halted, only one day. This place is walled round, but not being fortified, is not sufficiently strong to withstand an enemy. The inhabitants were miserably poor. Early in the morning of the 17th, we marched to Aronche and reached there at 11 o'clock, crossed the river, and encamped in a wood opposite the town. The appearance of this place is very gothic. It stands on a high hill, completely surrounded by a wall, on the top of which are several towers. At the bottom of the hill, runs murmuring along a beautiful, shallow river. Aronche is about four leagues from the city of alvas I had a relation who died in the hospital of that place, called Samuel Ashton, and only five leagues from Badajoz, the grave of Englishmen. We remained here until the 21st, when the army broke up from this part of Spain and moved off in the direction of Ciudad Rodrigo. We joined the 7th Division then consisting of the following regiments. The 51st, 85th, the Chasseurs Britanniques, three regiments of the German Legion Light Infantry, three Portuguese regiments and a brigade of flying artillery commanded by Major General Houston. We marched from Oronche to Nyssa in three days. Nyssa is a smart little town, surrounded by a wall, having several churches, a convent and a good market. We halted in this place until the 31st of July, and then marched in the direction of Castelbranco. Branco. First day, we crossed the Tagus at Villa Vela. In crossing this river, we had the most romantic views high towering mountains and rough, craggy rocks, together with the swiftly guiding stream of the Tagus, making it altogether a scene highly interesting. When we came to the bridge, which was made of boats, Similar to the bridge at Paneta and Abrante, the whole of the divisions crossed over, but the bridge sprang very much, and care was taken of the horses for fear of accidents. On the other side, on the top of the hill, stands a wretched looking village called Villa Vela, from which the pass takes its name. Here we encamped for the night. The next day, we reached Caneda, which is pleasantly situated, having cultivated fields around it which is not always the case in these parts. The third day, we reach the city of Castelbranco, which is a very healthy place, having several springs and fountains of good water. Here is also the palace of a bishop, and several nobles reside in this town and neighbourhood. There is also a very handsome cathedral church, and several other churches and chapels, and an old castle from which the town takes its name. We had also a general hospital, with a depot of convalescent soldiers, and a magazine of military stores and provisions for the army. The market of this place is well supplied. On the 4th, we reached a pretty little village called Sant Miguel. On the 5th, Pedrogos, and on the 6th, we arrived at Pena Macor, a large town situated on the top of a ridge of hills. Having a castle and several churches and convents, the inhabitants of this part of Portugal a very polite, for when a peasant met a soldier, he would bow with the greatest respect. I also have remarked that when the poorest peasants meet on the road, they will bow and salute each other with Viva Senor, or some other kind word. On August the 7th, we moved off right in front, marched over high mountains and through valleys covered with brushwood, and bushes so high that the army was frequently hid from the view of each other. We arrived at Cebúgul and encamped under the chestnut trees about half a mile from the town. Sabugal has the appearance of ancient grandeur, being surrounded by a gothic wall and having a castle, the walls of which are in very good condition. But the town is small, not containing more than 600 people. On the 8th we marched to Alfaita, a pleasant village near the Spanish frontier, and on the 9th we arrived at Villa Major a frontier village of Portugal, only two miles from Spain, and remained there until September 22nd. Via Major is a neat village consisting of about 30 houses and 120 inhabitants. It has one church, two chapels and a small market, and a river runs through it, which makes it delightfully pleasant. Wood was plentiful, and within a short distance, mulberries, grapes and figs were in abundance. Our company, and three others, were quartered in the church, and during our stay here, I saw the Roman Catholics bury some of their dead according to the superstitions of the Church of Rome. Previous to the arrival of our regiment in this place, I had a very severe attack of fever and flux. I was left at Nyssa, nice, where I remained about three weeks, in consequence of leaving Nisa nice before I was well. The river fell into my feet and ankles, making me a complete cripple in which state i remained for several weeks not being able to do my duty while in this church we experienced the most awful thunderstorm the claps of thunder being the loudest and most terrible i've ever heard during which the rain fell in torrents and the wind blowing a complete hurricane greatly alarmed us i have no doubt but it appeared worse to us than it really was on the account of the echo of the church September 22nd. In consequence of some hostile movements of the enemy, who was only six leagues from this place, we received orders to occupy a small village called Adaya de Berra, only three miles distant. We stayed there until the 24th and then marched to Guinaldo, which was only three leagues from Ciudad Rodrigo, a strong garrison in possession of the French army. Our regiment remained here until the 27th, when the enemy Advancing from Salamanca in great force, compelled us to retreat and take up a strong position near Sabugal, where we had a little skirmishing, but nothing of any consequence. That was reserved for some future period. The season being far advanced, and winter coming on, we broke up from before Sabugal and went into cantonments or winter quarters. The 7th Division at Penamacor, the light division on the frontiers of Portugal, the 5th Division at the City of Guada, and the other divisions so arranged that we could have been collected in a few days. Our regiment lay at Panama Corps 14 days, and then went to Pedregos, a small village on the Castel Bronco Road, distant two leagues. When the retreat began, in consequence of my lameness, I, with several other sick men of different regiments, was sent to the General Hospital at Salicro. However, I soon joined the army again, having recovered the strength of my ankles, but not by applying liniments, for I rubbed several bottles of mixture into them, but was no better. Being advised by an old soldier to go to a fountain and let the water run upon them, I did so, and soon recovered my strength, and a party of the 68th. Coming through this place, I joined them and started for Pedrogos. On this journey, I passed through the city of Guada which is situated on a lofty mountain, the ascent thereto being four miles. The distance to the city is increased by the zigzag way in which the roads are necessarily cut, or no carriage could ever travel up those lofty hills. The city is very handsome and compact, being built chiefly of stone. There are convents, churches, and public buildings in abundance, from the top of which we had a view for 60 or 70 miles, or perhaps more. On this march... Also, I passed through a village called Val de Lobos, the meaning of which, in English, is the Valley of Wolves. There are a great number of these animals in this part of Portugal, but they seldom attack a person in the daytime, although they are terrible in the night. A man of our army, having to go a journey by night, was attacked by them and devoured, nothing but his bones being found. I saw a mule at Frenada, which had its thigh so mangled with a wolf that it was with difficulty healed. During my stay in this country, I saw several, but passed through the Valley of Wolves without ever seeing an animal of this sort, and arrived in good health at Pedrogos, with about 800 new flannel shirts for the regiments. The shirts were full-sized with long sleeves, which I have no doubt had a tendency to preserve health more than linen shirts could do. Pedrogos is a pleasant village, having plenty of wood and good water within half a mile of the town, so that we were well situated for the winter, which is very cold and rainy, but scarcely any frost or snow, except on the mountains, where it lies all the year. In this place, we received our provisions regularly. Our daily allowance was as follows. One pound of beef, one pound of biscuit, or one pound and a half of bread, one third of a pint of rum, and two ounces of rice. Our beef was better, ...than I had ever seen it before... ...for there was good pasture... ...and rest for the cattle... ...which gave them time to fatten... ...very frequently in the summer season... ...when we had been some time on the march... ...our meat was literally like carrion... ...and if £20 had been offered... ...for a small quantity of suet... ...it would have been impossible... ...to obtain it. If you've enjoyed this podcast... ...and want to support it... ...then why not send us a PayPal donation... ...all donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.
1: Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colours.